Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading Stones of Fire by Isabel Kuhn with permission of OMF International, and we are continuing on the Chapter 2. Every now and again, the opium affair had come up, for it was far from settled. On July the 27th came word that 140 Chinese soldiers had arrived in Luchang. Some said they were to fight the Japanese. Others whispered that they had come to compel the Christians to plant opium this autumn. On August the 10th, another big deacon's meeting was called. No answer had been received from the president, and the Chinese officials were getting angry. He said that the gayest of Sandalwood Flat was to pay $50 for delaying like this. The Christians unitedly refused to pay until they had the president's reply. If he says we are to pay, we will, they said in their simplicity, not realizing how it infuriated the Chinese to hear them link the great personage with their ragged selves. Just as if there were any connection... But on August 26, word went swiftly over the canyon that Mama had an answer from the president's office, and Lu Xing quickly typed out a translation, and a copy was sent to each village. It said that the president had long been interested in the tribes, and that he was glad there were missionaries ministering to them. And as for the opium order, it was a mistake, and he was telegraphing the provincial governor about it immediately. The church was jubilant. For the first time in all these centuries, they had found someone to whom they could appeal for justice, someone higher in authority than the feudal lord or the Chinese magistrate. It was just in time, too, for the official was getting dangerous. He had laid hands on a Aquila, the deacon at Sandalwood, and had beaten him and put him in prison, and he was threatening to wipe out the whole of the Plum Tree Village and all of its inhabitants. He had those 140 soldiers with guns now, and he had said that he would drive Mama out of the canyon if only Mapa would come back. He did return, and on September the 8th, together with a group of deacons, they went to expostulate with the feudal lord and the Chinese magistrate. The lord was nice, but fateful. I'm sorry, Mr. Coon, he said. I have orders from the opium commissioner to collect so much money from this district, and the only people in my district now that have any money are the Christians. The heathen are opium thoughts. They have not got such a sum. Yes, go on to Lu Chang and see the Chinese magistrate. If he lessens the tax, I will, of course. At Lu Chang, the official was courteous, made such vague promises and dismissed Ma Pa and the deacons, and Aquila was left in prison. Ma Pa then came on to Olives, Lu Sing with him, and Third Sister had another glorious happy weekend, a long one from Thursday to Tuesday. But the churches were puzzled. Why didn't the officials listen to Ma Pa and the president's instruction? One thing was clear. This opium planting order was not from the central government. This local order was from the son of the governor of the province, who meant to make private gain from it and considered the canyon too way back of beyond for the president to hear of it. The Lesu church appealed over his head, had taken away his face, and he was furious. On September the 26th, Ma Pa received a letter from a sub-official named, saying that he, Ma Pa, was to be made personally responsible for the church not planting opium. Then, the very next day, everyone was swung down to the depths of fear and despair. Ma Ma is a Canadian, and her British consult has written her a letter of stern rebuke for helping the Lisu church appeal to the president. You should never have sent any letter except through me. You have no right to get mixed up in what is purely political matter. You have forgotten that the canyon is a border territory and you should be doubly careful. You are allowed in the canyon by the Chinese government as a guest on the understanding that you would take no part in politics. Being there was for religious purposes only. 
If they wish to carry out their threat to drive you from the canyon, I cannot help you. In fact, I must report you to the British Consul General. The President will, of course, send a manifesto that opium planting is not allowed. But it is very doubtful if his power can reach to such a remote spot. In other words, whether or not the manifesto will be followed remains to be seen. Even before word of this letter to Mama reached Olives, one of their numbers came back from Lu Chang with the news that a new manifesto from the President had just arrived and was posted. And to everyone's amazement, it read, Anyone caught stealing will be executed. The word stealing had obviously been pasted over the original words planting opium. The local officials had won and done just what the British consul had prophesied. There, following dark days as this new little church swung back and forth from faith to fear, from fear to faith, the Chinese were jeering. Now the church was going to be persecuted as never before. The governor's son had called all the officials out of the canyon for a big conference as to what should be done with those rebels, the Christians. Aquila was still in prison and some of the northern Christians had had their cattle driven off because they refused to pay until the president's answer arrived. And they had had their day of fasting and prayer and it availed nothing. Does prayer avail nothing? Faith is being certain of what we do not see, was Third Sister's favorite Bible verse. Away off in America, England, Australia, prayer helpers, although unseen, were already at work. It was really so wonderful that we must share some inner details with you. One afternoon, Brother Three and Mama were praying about the matter. From where they sat on the inbuilt veranda of the shanty, they looked out upon the wonderful panorama of the Selwyn Canyon. The mountain descends in bumpy ridges 2,000 feet from the shanty at Oak Flat to the Selwyn River, and the opposite bank rises immediately for many thousands of feet of foothills, knobs, and ridges and peaks. Behind one small mountain crown, about level with Oak Flat in altitude, lies the magistrate's seat, the town of Luchang, where Aquila was in prison. As the two missionaries prayed, this petition was, as it were, forced from them. Lord, you yourself judge these evil men who are inflicting such injustice on your children. That evening, the Chinese magistrate and the opium commissioner were dining together. They began to quarrel. The commissioner demanded the tax money. He could wait no longer. The magistrate replied he could not pay such a sum until the Christians paid. The commissioner refused to believe it, made a sneering insinuation that the magistrate was trading illicitly with the Japanese over the pass. The argument became so hot that they fell upon one another physically. The commissioner was a big man, the magistrate short and slender. Fearful lest his son lose the fight, the magistrate's old father seized a knife and stabbed the commissioner. He died on October 1, 1941. God had judged. The magistrate was led in chains after the coffin and the whole affair fell into silence. On November the 11th, Aquila was quietly released from prison. On January the 13th, 1942, the president's own men appeared in person on a tour of the investigation up and down the canyon and they personally supervised the uprooting of all opium. The Christians had, as of yet, paid no money, and the heathen lost their winter's crop. It was then too late to plant wheat or anything else. The human explanation was never told. Mama could only have guessed. Word came that the magistrate's only punishment was demotion. Her guess is that to save his life, he gave, for reason of their quarrel, that he was backing up the president's manifesto and thus won protection for himself from the highest power. 
Yes, the running water of a constant peril washes away our mess and alerts us to watch and pray. But the great Jim Lover has compassion. Those anxious days, how tenderly his fingers reached down into his mountain pocket and loved each touch of his trembling little stones of fire. Chapter 3 A Stone Selected How did Hebrews 11.1 become the favorite verse of a little uneducated tribes girl brought up in a primitive fashion in the sides of a remote canyon at the end of the earth? This chapter holds the answer. The year 1942 had dawned with great hope. Mama declared that she thought the time had come now to try a Bible school for girls. It could be only one month in duration for the women in the canyon were much too busy to spare much time. It must be at Chinese New Year, for only then had they any leisure. So it was planned for the month of February. Never had third sister heard of a school for girls only. How her heart leaped in yearning at the thought. Oh, that she might go. Second sister had no such longings, but and indeed, truth to tell, both sisters had started this new year badly. They had quarreled, and then third sister's old heathen speech habits had rushed out on the end of her tongue. Second sister had said that if the Christians talked like that way, then she did not want to be a Christian, and she had backslidden. It was really terrible, for that, of course, would bring the quarrel to Lu Sing's ears. Third sister apologized humbly, but second sister was obdurate, intending Lu Sing to learn that she had backslidden because of the third sister's angry words. Lu Sing had gone to meet Mama, who was coming in that day to hold a short Bible study at Olive's. Father, also angry at third sister, said she could find her food elsewhere. He would give her nothing to eat. Also, she might not go to the girls' Bible school at Oak Flat. That was unthinkable. A Christian who got angry and fought with her sister was not worthy to go, and so on. When third sister could get along on the wild mountainside, she threw herself on the grass and prayed in agony. Oh, Lord, I was wrong. I don't know why I did it. It just came out of my tongue before I knew it was there. Help me to go to the Bible study this week. While she prayed earnestly, the golden sunshine poured down. Yellow rock primrose nodded their little heads by her side. And gradually a peace came into her heart and a resolution was formed. She would go to the Bible study and just not eat. Starving for two weeks did not kill a person. She remembered that Moses had been without food for 40 days and 40 nights. If it had to be a choice between spiritual food and physical, then she would choose the former. So with her mouth set firmly, she arose and ran down the mountain to resume her former task. At 4.30 that afternoon, gong, gong, gong sounded over the mountainside, announcing that Mama and Party were nearing the welcome march. Third sister came running along the lower trail and joined the lineup. Oh, there was a Lesu Mama along with a white woman, Esther from Stockade Hill. She wore the full skirt and a short blouse of a Chinese for the Lesu from near the Burma Road were more civilized than those of the Upper Salween. After shaking hands, Third Sister shyly loosened Esther's bag, slinging it over her own small shoulder to carry up the hill, as a little group chatted merrily, escorting the visitors up to Thomas' shanty, vacated now for Bible study time. That evening, Lu Sang spoke, while Third Sister shrank back into the shadow part of the chapel and listened, her whole soul open and drinking in every word. The Bible came alive to her when Lu Sing preached. She wondered if he had heard yet of the quarrel, and her eyes dropped when the flicker of pain passed over her face. He would be so disappointed. She prayed inwardly that she would be able to take his rebuke humbly. If necessary, she could prove that second sister was just as much in the wrong 
But no, she had been wrong too. There was no excuse for having said angry words. She must pray daily about her tongue. During Monday, third sister, with firmly set mouth, went quietly through the day's study without anything to eat, not missing one class. It was two days later that Mama learned of it, and then she quickly called Lucing. Do you know that there's a little girl studying with us who has had no food for a day and a half? Her father said if she came to classes that he would not allow. Yes, I know. I just heard about it, said Lucing, with a frown upon his usual sunny face. Don't worry. She's been arranged for. Some of the other girls would feed her. But I cannot understand why people do not control their tongues better. There's been a quarrel in the village, and one has been backslidden because of the angry words of the other, who is a Christian. His handsome face was hot with indignation. Mama watched him silently, a trace of amusement in her eyes. None was more hot-tempered than Lu Singh himself, a most ardent nature, ardent in love and ardent in anger. It is true that heathen words were barred from his mouth, but his natural gift of speech was so eloquent he suffered nothing from their loss. He could barb his words most effectively without any help from the heathen vocabulary. Possibly there were others in the village with the same disposition. Mama, quite ignorant of who the culprits were, was not inclined to be upset over the matter. Well, we ought to go and exhort them, said Lucing. We're busy today, but will you go with me on Saturday? Some are girls, and I do not like to go alone. Oh, certainly, said Mama, gladly. Let us set aside Saturday for exhorting the unbelievers in this village, shall we? And so it was arranged. That Saturday was sunny and clear, and the skies were such a deep blue where they could be discerned between the snowy summits thousands of feet high, which pierced their depths on each bank of the canyon, and up those slopey sides downy white clouds were traveling. Second sister determined to weave that morning, and as she seated herself at the loom outside their hut, she could see the mountain slopes opposite to Olive's. A baby cloud was nestling in the curve of one giant peak, as if it got lost in the long ascent and weary of trying to find the top, had gone to sleep in the shelter of those massive crags. Everywhere the fresh green of new spring and the little king nip which departing winter had left in the air stirred the blood into spring fever. Second sister had just got her loom arranged and had begun to peddle it when Lucing and Mama appeared in front of her. Third sister hung anxiously and shyly in the shadow of the doorway. Lu Sing did the exhorting. Standing there with a slight frown on his face, he went right to the point. I am sorry to hear that you have backslidden, second sister. I've heard all about it. Third sister was wrong to speak like that, but she says she's willing to apologize. And God said that he will not have compassion on those who will not forgive their brother from their heart. Eternal life is not a toy to be taken up and tossed down from the petulance. And God is not to be played with, walking with him one moment and turning your back on him the next. Second sister's face was drooping. She looked very sweet and penitent and a bit scared. I'm sorry, I was wrong, she murmured. Well, will you say you were wrong to Mama here and shake hands with her? Was it the sun in his face or what was it? Lucing was scowling. But Mama, second sister, was not afraid of Mama. She instantly stood up and held out her hand. I was wrong. Forgive me, she said simply. I'll expect to see you in chapel tonight, said Lucing, his face clearing. And we'll give you an opportunity to stand up, stand up and confess to the brethren. And you too, third sister, with a short nod to the shadowy form in the doorway. 
Then the little group passed on into another hut. Third sister came out from the door and put out her hand to the second sister. I'm glad you've come back. Please forgive me. I'll try never to say those bad things again. Second sister, with a look, accepted her handshake. Will you help me find the words I've got to say in the chapel tonight? Sure I will, said God's little stone of fire. And I'll make my confession first. And they'll understand, and it will be easier for you. And that was the last quarrel between the sisters that Mama ever heard of. That Bible study week was a happy one. Lucy had so much fun, and everyone was on the lookout. In the Lesu work, there had been mass movements, whole families, even whole villages turning to Christianity at once. But olives is different. They are hand-picked fruit. The greater majority of those attending those Bible classes were young people who had become Christians in defiance of their heathen parents' threats. The sense of common persecution knit them together, and all were young and most of them unmarried. Mama was very conscious of this latter fact since she had learned that Lucing had begun to build his own house. He would never own anything up to any such idea and certainly showed no sign of favoritism among the girls, but Mama was learning to read Lucy's actions. The missionaries had discovered, though sad experience, that it is a very important matter to whom a promising young evangelist proposes, more than one who is ever ruined for the Lord's work by choosing an unsuitable wife. So at free periods between the classes, Mama wondered vaguely which of the girls Lucy might have in mind. He himself would not discuss the matter, but there was a silent sign of his own house going up. The four girls most likely to be chosen were Rhonda, Lydia, Sarah, or second sister. Of these four, tall, pretty Sarah, bright of mind and spicy of tongue, seemed to gain influence. For late Lucine openly praised her abilities to answer the Bible questions, and when the Bible match was organized, he chose Sarah first for his side, even before Esther herself, and he did not choose third sister at all. Towards the end of the week, second sister and third sister invited Mama and Lucing to a supper prepared by themselves, rice and chicken. Lucing pretended he was too busy to come, but third sister quietly refused to escort the party down the hill until Lucing came. Mama only now learned her name, but her face had been the biggest inspiration of that particular school. She sat on the front row among the sopranos, for in that village the whole audience is the choir. Seated according to the part they sang. Third sister seemed to open up her whole soul to the message and allowed the speaker to pour it out to full. Also, the sweet shyness that flooded her face when she noticed she had attracted attention bespoke a maiden modesty most winsome. But she also had a very determined jaw. There was obstinacy there. Mama saw as third sister quietly refused to budge until Lucing had joined their party. But once he started with them, all was happy enjoyment. The very next day before the evening service, Lucing walked into Mama's hut with a worried look that bespoke a problem. Knowing him well, Mama asked what it was. Soldiers in the village tonight, he said shortly. It's not good for the girls. They shouldn't be seen on the trail, even in their own homes. It is not good. But in their own homes, won't their parents protect them? What protection has a Lucing half against a gun? These are Chinese soldiers, and I've known them to break down a barred door. To a heathen parent, resistance is not worth that. Protection is that price is too dear, and most of our girls' parents are heathens, you know. They don't think sin is that important. Well, then, tell all the girls to come and sleep at my house tonight. 
I'd like to see those soldiers attempt to break down my door. And Mama bristled like an old hen with a dozen chicks to cover. Lee Sing's face cleared. All right. If they sleep on the floor, they can all get in. And so the announcement was all whispered all over the village, and the chapel saw a full attendance that evening. After a bright and happy service, Thomas's hunt was brevy of giggling, laughing girls preparing to sleep sardine style on the floor. Lucine came in, trying not to look as, as self-conscious as he felt. Everyone in? All but third sister, came a chorus of girlish voices. Third sister. She lived at the very bottom of the village. Lucine turned and shot out into the dark. And after three minutes, the door opened and third sister entered flushed and a lovely light of happiness on her face. As she stands there, the light from the wood fire on the floor playing over her form. Let us take a look at her. She was short because the lace grew slowly, not maturing until they're 25. And she was just turning 17 by count, 18 by theirs. Large, dark eyes with sharply curved eyebrows that gave an expression to her sweet face. When she smiled as now, she showed the most beautiful, even pearly teeth Mama had ever seen. And that delicate pink flush on her cheeks was most becoming. However, the loveliest of all were the shy, gentle movements and expressions they would call charm. Elusive to description and sad to say, never once captured by the camera. As she murmured an explanation and quickly tried to slip out of sight, Mama said to herself, You are the sweetest of them all. I wonder, Lucing hasn't got the sense to see it. But remembering how that high-strung young coat re- resented any feel of the bridle on his neck, Mama sighed and resorted to prayer. That afternoon's study was broken by a summons of Mom from Mama. The soldiers were the opium investigation committee sent by the president, and they wished to see Mama. The laird's son, his heir, was with them, and the corporal of the local militia. He was a relative of the lords. The latter flung out a finger at Mama and said, You're responsible for this. And Mama knew that she had made an enemy for life. Inwardly, she sighed and prayed, Yes, Lord, I've learned my lesson. Never again will God go down to Egypt for help. Never again. The next Bible study was over and Mama had to leave. As she shook hands with Third Sister, Mama said, Third Sister, don't give up hope on going to Girls Bible School next month. God is able to open your way and I will join you in prayer about it. Thank you, Mama, she replied simply. God is the only one who can. Father steadfastly refuses to let me. Don't let lack of board money keep you away. If your father will consent, I'll see to the money, Mama had said earnestly. Thank you to death, Mama, and then they had to separate. The girl stood on a rock that jets out beside the road and overlooks the trail ahead with a long distance, and they sang songs until Mama and her carries were out of sight. Third sister turned back to her old pursuits and her old life with just one purpose in her heart. She must get to the girls' Bible school in February. Mama had taught them the stories of Joshua during the Bible study. It was God and God only who had leveled the walls of Jericho. Her father, at ardent refusal to let her go, was like a city wall that only God could level. But she was going to walk around it in prayer every day, seven times a day if necessary. On the seventh day, God leveled the walls. It was a lovely, sunny morning in January. Yanan's loveliest, loveliest month of the year. How blue are the skies, how warm the golden sunshine, how crisp the mountain air blowing the tall, snowy peaks. It was probable that the third sister was sitting at her loom, weaving by the side of their house, 
for all the girls who hoped to be free to go to the girls' Bible school had to work overtime to get the family weaving done in order to have a whole month free. Bonnerty's tall form appeared beside the busy little weaver, and his wrinkled face was wreathed in a broad grin. He looked quickly up and down to make sure no one was in sight, and then he said in a low voice, Here's a like letter for you. You're not to tell anyone, but he slipped me the answer when I came round tonight. With a quizzical, humorous twinkle in his eye, he handed Third Sister a small folded square piece of paper, and then he walked off. Third Sister's heart stood still. Chinese New Year was just a few days off, when she would be considered 18 years old. The Lesu Church say a maiden may not be proposed to until she's 18, and a proposal is called a like letter. In the Lesu Church, with the background of heathenness and loose speech, the boy may not propose in person. He must write a like letter and hand it to the deacon of the village, who reads it to see if its language is what the church may approve. And then the deacon takes it to the girl. She likewise must write an answer through the deacon. On no account must they hand their letters to one another personally. They are horrified at the American customs in this matter and consider that we Westerners are sadly loose. Their joys are all the sweetest for waiting until marriage makes them one in the Lord. Divorce is unusual and is still considered a scandal. Third sister sat down with the smallest missive in her hand and as if paralyzed. She did not need to open it to know the writer's name. Her little notebook of Christian endeavor speeches was full of outlines and texts written in that strong, bold handwriting. Lucine, how could it be to her? Her next emotion was terror, lest anyone should see. To open and read it outside was too risky. Where could she fly for refuge? If the little shanty she ran hunting desperately, maybe she chose the far corner of the porch where there was a huge grain bin stands. If she squeezes in between that bin and the wall, she would never be detected. With trembling fingers and eyes with the guard down, her whole soul of love poured through. She opened Lucine's like letter and read it. It called her sister. Oh, yes, she understood that. Lucine so feared heathen imputations and innuendos that he chose the purest name he knew, and she loved him for it. It asked her to marry him in a year or two and not to be afraid or embarrassed to answer him. He wanted it to be a holy union where the spiritual rather than the physical predominated. And above all, this proposal was based on one condition, that she promised never to interfere in his Bible study or work for the Lord, which would, of course, call him from home many weeks at a time and leave her to do the farm work alone. On his part, he promised always to see that each year she was always free for a month of February to attend the girls' Bible school. They must covenant mutually to protect one another's privilege of Bible study, for the old parents would not be sympathetic. And it finished, If you can't like me, I'll die a single man. Oh, Lucine, Lucine, you start with such staid propriety, calling her sister and end up like that. But Lesu opals have fire in their hearts. Principles shot through with passion. Then, then the tears of joy descend, and what a day that was. Most surely the weaver's loom stood idle. Most surely the little brown hand shook so that a page after page was pronounced unfit to be sent, torn up, and a new page pulled eagerly forward for a new start. Mama never got to see it, but she was told its contents, and the sweet, winsome shyness which later made third sister the like-letter scribe of her village. Mama read the answers third sister wrote for other trembling maids in those days. So let's try and imagine this, her first. 
And we're going to wait until next time to find out what the letter wrote and what she said back to him. I love you. I'm praying for you. And bye-bye for now.